WBZ original. I understand. Austin's number one podcast does not <laughs> care. There's got to be Austin, talk England. About the Royals. We're, we're, talk about we're not going to talk about it. it like this. <laughs> we're not going to talk Ooh. about it. Lady never sweats. She mists. <laughs> she mists. Listen, that queen is sitting back there saying, ugh. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Alston's number one podcast, Studio BZ. It's season four, episode 12. I'm Paula Evan. I'm, <laughs> I'm Liam Martin. We're off to a roaring start. I have half my voice back from last week. You I sound mean, a lot better. A lot better than last week. Yeah. I'm getting there. Yeah. And there's John Keller across yeah. the table from me. And I have a question. What's Alston's number two podcast? Do we really want to know? Hmm. Is it a podcast about number, number two? two. <laughs> No, Sorry, we uh, actually covered that with bare butt plugs oh, boy. a few weeks ago oh, with Malika geez. Marshall. Had to go so, right back So, by here. my count, it took us less than 60 <laughs> seconds this week to go straight uh, into I think the you, hopper. Frankly, you baited me. Um, <laughs> so, we've got a lot going on this week in the yes, podcast. Yes, we do. We do. John? Yes. You start off. Oh, I'm sorry. I was just dozing off. To the Boston City, <laughs> yeah. the new Boston City Council yeah, president. Yeah, the, the, there's a brand new Boston City Council, uh, the most diverse, uh, the most heavily represented by women mm. and people of color. And it should come as no surprise that the new president is a woman of color, uh, second term city councilor Kim Janey from Roxbury. Uh, and uh, she came in and sat down with me the other day, right after uh, Mayor Marty Walsh's State of the City speech had a lot to say about that and other issues facing mm-hmm. the city. I spoke with CBS News travel editor Peter Greenberg about the whole situation with Boeing. Where does he see that going? How horribly did the FAA mismanage the certification of that plane? Mm. His top places to go in 2020. And I asked him, what does he make of my idea that air marshals should get involved in policing people <laughs> taking their shoes and socks off on a plane? So Peter Greenberg weighs in on that. And sure. we are going to talk about the rise of cheating mm. in culture, in our society. Sports, of course. Sports, what's to be done about it? So yeah. we'll get into that. I will start off with a little fun factoid. One of my late uncles, Peter Hines of West Roxbury, was the youngest president of the Boston City Council Hmm. in the 60s. And uh, that institution has gone through a lot of change over the decades. And boy, he wouldn't recognize the new city council. I wonder what he'd say if he could see the the city council today. It certainly is much more representative of the ethnic and racial and gender diversity of the city these days. And I had a chance to sit down the other day with the newly elected uh, president of the council. There's a new president chosen uh, every two years. Uh, her name is Kim Janey. She's a second-term district city councilor representing mainly Roxbury. Uh, and uh, she happened to be in to talk with me the day after Mayor Marty Walsh's State of the City speech. Uh, Mayor Walsh generally has a good relationship with the council, better than uh, his predecessor Tom Menino and some others had. Former but, counselor himself, right? Was it uh, at one point? No, no, he was no, a state, he was state, a state rep. representative. Yeah. But uh, that doesn't mean he's above criticism. And we started off talking a little bit about the mayor and the council. This is Greater Boston, cradle of American democracy. 
Madam President, welcome. Thank you so much. Congratulations. To be here. Good to have you. So what did you think of Mayor Walsh's State of the City speech the other night? I think uh, education, uh, transportation, housing are certainly the, the issues that are important to residents in the city of Boston. Certainly, I hear about those issues and concerns from residents that I represent in District 7. Um, but I'm also interested in hearing more about how we close the wealth gap in Boston. I really am interested in hearing about an economic strategy that really lifts uh, people who have been left behind in terms of economic prosperity in Boston. So I'm interested in my term as council president working with my colleagues on the council as well as the mayor to um, lift people who have been left out of economic prosperity in Boston. And I would have liked to hear, have heard more of that. Can you be more specific? Give me one specific example of what you would have liked to well, hear yes, and address. Yes, I think um, we know we have an enormous wealth gap here yeah. uh, in the city of Boston. Um, too many people are left out of this economic boom, so there's uh, a lot of development happening in our city. A lot of corporations want to move to Boston and, and set up uh, their headquarters here, and that's a great thing. Boston is a wonderful, world-class city, but too many people in our neighborhoods, particularly poor communities of color, are left out of the economic prosperity. And so we have to create opportunities, whether it's by supporting small business owners, whether it's helping uh, families purchase their first home, whether it's our city contracts, whether it's construction jobs, we have to do more to ensure that there's shared prosperity in our city. Do the building trade unions do enough to be inclusive of uh, well, minority workers? I think we workers? can all do a better job. And so I've, um, I monitor construction jobs in my district. Mm -hmm. um, I you know, work with uh, anyone and everyone who wants to talk about shared prosperity. And I think we can all do a better job, including the unions. Well, you know, much of your background is spent in education, and that's certainly a focus of your agenda on the council. Now, with the mayor's speech the other night, both the city and the state have now announced major new spending on city schools. What else do you think they should be doing? Is it, or is it just a matter of more money? No, I think we have to be very intentional uh, and really target who we're talking about and when we talk about um, education. So there are huge opportunity and achievement gaps. We can say uh, we can just invest more money and the rising tide will lift all boats. I happen to believe that a rising tide uh, can be dangerous if you don't have a boat. So if you have a yacht, great, that rising tide is wonderful for you. But if you're on a life raft, that rising tide could take you under. And so we've got to do more to be really intentional about targeting the students in most need. And that's our English language learners students with disabilities, um, black and brown children who uh, may not have the same out-of-school experiences that some of their peers have. We've got to do more to ensure that they have every opportunity to be successful. Well, on paper, that's the focus of the state spending initiative, specifically targeted to ESL and, and, and poorer communities. Are you satisfied with that? Yeah, or? I mean, so that money will come into the district, which is wonderful. Right. But even within the Boston School District, there are schools that have um, m more resources uh, because maybe they have parents who know how to fundraise. Um, and then there are other schools who do not. So we even within, even though that money is coming into the Boston School District, we've got to make sure it's targeted. Counselor, you went to Reading Schools uh, the Metco via the Metco program. Yes. 
Should that program be expanded, be phased out, find the way it is? What do you think of METCO? Well, I understand why METCO exists, and it was certainly beneficial to me and the many, the thousands of other students that have come through METCO. My focus and my attention has been on Boston Public Schools. That is where the vast majority of the children who live in our city, they attend Boston Public Schools. That's where they go. Um, it is where we have many challenges uh, compared to other towns because we will have a larger percentage of our students who are English language learners or students uh, with disabilities. And so my focus is on trying to improve Boston public schools. Well, um, I promised we'd touch on transit here, and that's obviously a big issue. All sorts of issues are on the table, uh, congestion, parking, traffic safety, and so forth. But one issue I feel maybe doesn't get enough attention is the difficulty that many city residents, particularly with limited means, have in finding a way to get out to 128 and 495, where a lot of the good-paying jobs in tech and other industries are located. It can be a nightmare trying to do that. Is that on your radar? Well, I think, again, back to the economic strategy, there are many corporations that are moving into Boston and want to make Boston their home, and it's important that those jobs be available for Boston residents. I would love for people to be able to work right here in our city, um, and then that would certainly help us with congestion uh, in our city, and there are those opportunities, and so Boston residents should have more opportunity to partake in industries that are right here in our city. Um, and it doesn't mean that people couldn't go to other towns. Obviously, they right. can. Uh, one thing to deal with traffic and congestion, though, is improving our public transit system. Um, Boston, we control our, our roads, even though we, we don't control the MBTA. We can certainly build better infrastructure like dedicated bus lanes, um, but we can also be strong advocates for an improved public transit system. Mayor Walsh has called for, I believe, a, a city seat on the board. Oh, I think that's important, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. I mean, Boston's the economic engine for the Commonwealth of Massachusetts. It's a huge hub in terms of public transit, helping people from suburbs come into the city to work and vice versa. And so we need a public transit system that works for everyone. One other thing in our remaining moment here, uh, the NAACP convention is coming to Boston next summer. Mayor Walsh mentioned that in his speech the other night. It's a big moment for the city. Uh, what do you want to the message to be about Boston that the nation will hopefully absorb as they pay attention to that convention? I, well, I hope uh, we do a good job being a great host and they see how wonderful our city truly is, uh, particularly uh, the neighborhood that I represent. Um, I would love for the convention attendees to come and visit the historic home of the black community here in Boston. Um, I would love for them to really take take in the wonderful elected leadership that we have in terms of uh, people of color in office. So we have at the State House uh, many more folks who are women of color at the State House, certainly on the Boston City Council. Mm -hmm. That is a wonderful thing. What I want us to take uh, in here at home is that we haven't solved everything when it comes to race relations. So even though the convention is coming here, we still have more work to do. Uh, well, thank you very much for being here. Now that you've come, don't be a stranger. Thank come you. back again soon. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate really appreciate it. it. Thank you. Identify problems, come up with some solutions help people.
Knowledge is a great weapon. We are in the midst of winter, of course, a great time to plan a trip. So we have CBS News travel editor Peter Greenberg joining us now in studio. Thank you so much for coming on. It was happy, good to see you. Happy to be here. You're here in Boston for the travel and adventure show at the Heinz Convention Center. We want to talk to you about some fun vacation tips, that sort of thing, travel tips. But let's first get into this issue with Iran and yeah. the Ukrainian Airlines jet that went down Tuesday. We don't believe it's mechanical. We don't believe it's mechanical. Uh, in a situation like this, as with all crashes, the host country will lead the investigation with aid from other investigative agencies. Uh, the French agency, which is our, their version of the National Transportation Safety Board. I would not be surprised to see the Iranians invite the NTSB to be a part of it, not the lead investigator, for another reason. The NTSB has the laboratory. They have the technology to be able to really decode both the cockpit voice recorder and the flight data recorder in the tail to coordinate all the information in a way that people could actually get a great timeline of what either did happen or what either didn't happen. It's important to say at this point that investigators have to painstakingly rule everything they can out before they can ever rule any one thing in. So this investigation is far from, from over. The situation in Iran is weighing on Americans' minds. Of course, there is Brexit going on in the UK. So a lot of variables in global affairs at this point. Have you seen any effect on airfare as a result of everything that's going on? Right well, now? strangely enough, as a consequence of all this and a few other things, airfares have either stabilized or they've gone down. It's actually a buyer's market for anybody who wants to fly, especially overseas. Uh, Brexit, a lot of people weren't flying. They weren't flying here. So what would have been their outbound flights home from the United States now become our outbound flights initiating to go there. It's actually cheaper in some cases right now to fly from Boston to Europe than from Boston to LaGuardia. You say a U.S. election year yeah. also creates a buyer's market. Why is that? Every four years, an election year, more people stay home. They don't necessarily travel. There's always that area of uncertainty. It's just natural, just like Brexit. People are a little concerned, a little confused. Let's stay home. Another concern for flyers right now is the Boeing 737 MAX plane. Yeah. American Airlines, Southwest, United, many more all fly this plane. Not right now because it's grounded. Uh, where does the investigation stand into that and how is that impacting travelers right now? Well, the airlines have basically stabilized knowing that this plane's not going to be operating at least until May. Uh, and even maybe beyond that, depending on how many different foreign countries will then recertify it. And it will get recertified. They have fixed the software problem. They haven't fixed the public's problem. They haven't fixed the optics problem. And that's a, that's a longer road. But right now, this investigation is going to go into a criminal phase because it's what did Boeing know and when did they know it? And when you get the answers to those two questions, we're back at Watergate. Mm. Uh, I would not be surprised to see some Boeing executives hire criminal defense attorneys at this point because there's a chain of email that seems to indicate they knew they had a problem before the Ethiopian crash, before the Indonesian crash, before any of the crashes. And you would think that the Indonesian crash would have been the biggest wake-up call but they didn't wake up. And they, there's a, apparently a conscious effort there not to be fully transparent about what they knew and when they knew it. What have we learned about the FAA's role in this as well? Because they continued to certify the 737 MAX and at one point even told the Trump administration, you don't necessarily have to ground this plane yet after the first crash. Yeah. What have we learned about the, the, the relationship between the FAA and the manufacturers of these planes? It seems almost a little too symbiotic. Uh, 
Uh, not seems it, it is. And here's the problem. When the FAA was established by an act of Congress back in 1935, it was given a dual mandate that it could not possibly perform. First was to enact and enforce safety and regulation, and the second was to promote the business of aviation. You cannot do both. And so since 1935, in almost every case where the FAA was confronted with an obvious safety problem and an urgent safety solution, they tend to decide on the economic impact that that solution would, would pose to either the manufacturer or the operator, the airlines. And problems happened. So you can fix the Boeing 737 MAX. No problem. They're going to fix it. This plane will fly, and I'll be on it. I won't have a problem. You're going to fly. You're not going to have a problem getting on the 737 MAX? No, they've already fixed the software problem. They haven't fixed the optics problem. But this plane will fly. I will have no problem with that. What I have a problem with is have they fixed the culture problem at the FAA so that they don't look at the airlines as their clients, so that they don't look at the manufacturer as another client as well. They have to be a separate and independent agency that has not only the right, the mandate to do what they were supposed to do from the beginning, enforce and enact safety regulations. One of the things they do is say to Boeing, you certify this part of the process of building your plane. Yeah. Literally, they tell Boeing, you get to certify at this point, not us. How it's can crazy. that be? And is that just a funding issue? or what? Well, it's the- a funding and a staffing issue. But the problem is, would you ask, ask General Motors to sell you a car and tell you it was safe if the inspector was only employed by General Motors? Right, That's insane. what we have here. A series of FAA-designated inspectors who were on the payroll of the manufacturer. This happened with Lockheed. It happened with McDonnell Douglas. Now we have Boeing, right? So... Is a Boeing inspector, paid by Boeing, even though authorized by the FAA, going to stop the production line if he has a problem? There goes his paycheck. At least that's the theory of the problem. But in practice, I don't want to be around when that happens. Let's switch gears a bit and talk about the hot places to go in 2020. What are some places that you're highlighting this year for folks to maybe go that they haven't thought of going before? Well, this is one I know nobody's thought of going to before. It's the island of St. Helena. And you don't know where it is. And I nobody, no knows, nobody knows where it is. <laughs> I'll be honest. It's 1,200 miles east of Angola and about 1,800 miles west of Brazil. It's smack dab in the middle of absolutely nowhere in the South Atlantic. But it's an amazing place. It's one of the last of the British overseas territories. There are about 4,000 people who live there. But the reason why this place is so cool, this was the place the British exiled Napoleon. Mm. And most people think he was exiled to Elba. Well, he was. But he escaped. And then he fought the British at the Battle of Waterloo, and he lost. And the British were so angry at him, they said, okay, we're going to send you to the one place you can never get out. That was St. Helena. And interestingly enough, here we are in the year 2020. They just got an airport. That's it. Before that, the only way you could get there was by a Royal Mail ship that left once every five weeks from Cape Town. That was it. So they they have an airport, brand new airport, one flight a week. So if you miss the flight, you're in St. Helena for 14 days. <laughs> but like you Napoleon. know what? Count me in. This is an amazing place. you got to go. It's, it's just untouched territory and great people. You're recommending Puerto Rico as well. Yes. Uh, despite everything that's going on with the earthquakes there, why are you recommending Puerto Rico? Two reasons, and I, I feel very strongly about this. The best time, and it's going to sound politically insensitive, but it's not. It's practically sensitive. The best time to travel to most places is after they've had a civil disturbance or a natural disaster because they depend on you. You'll have a better experience. You can even participate in the recovery if you want. 
but you will, in general, have a much better experience, and you won't be standing in line. Mm -hmm. You actually experience the culture the way it was meant to be with the people who actually live there. Uh, I was just back from the Dominican Republic, so we felt that earthquake two days ago, uh, because the Dominican Republic is not far from Puerto Rico. Sure. Uh, there was a lot of damage in Ponce, but the point is, they're going to recover, and uh, you know what? Now's the time to go. You recommend Expedition and Luxury Cruises as well. I'll be honest, I've never been on a cruise. Why are you recommending Expedition Luxury Cruises? Well, going back to the days of the love boat, there may have been 200 ports of call, right? And they were the same ports of call. Nassau, the Caribbean, right? Sure. There are now 1,200 ports of call. And we're talking about the Russian Far East. We're talking about the Galapagos. We're talking about Antarctica. And up until recently, the only way you could get there by cruise ship is on a converted research vessel. So you were roughing it. Sure. Now we have luxury expedition ships. So you can get on the Zodiacs, go in there and see the penguins on the middle of the glaciers and on the ice flows, and then come back and visit the spa. <laughs> hey, does anybody have a problem with spa? So, but the point is, it's a great way to do it because you're experiencing it. You're still with the naturalists who know what they're talking about, but you're not freezing at night. You've been to almost every country on planet Earth. You said you've had 45 more to go or so. What is your number one travel tip for folks? And this gets down to the process of travel. And that's what I talk about all the time. I'll be doing it this weekend at the, at the Travel and Adventure Show. And it sounds silly, but it actually works. You never take a no from somebody who's not empowered to give you a yes in the first place. It's as simple as that. Mm. So when you're dealing with an airline, a hotel, a cruise line, a rental car company, the very first person you deal with, nine out of ten times, their only job is to tell you no. That's it. <laughs> so why would you waste your time asking that person that question when they can't do anything for you? Mm. Find out who can give you the yes. And by the way, if they tell you no, it really is no. But chances are, if you're nice about it and you understand their position and, and, and you work with them together on it, you're going to get the yes. Window or aisle seat? Where do you stand on that? Oh, always window. You know why? Why? I'm aisle. I'll tell I you why. Oh, no, 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 no. You I'm don't have wrong. leg room. You get beaten up by the beverage cart. <laughs> I'm okay with the that. The reason why you have the window is you go to the bathroom at the airport. Okay. Now you have nobody crawling over you during the flight. That little corner, you can lean your head up against it. It's yours. I get a little claustrophobic. In that then seat. don't get on an airplane these days because they're all full. <laughs> That's true. Uh, bare feet. Where do you stand on? I argue the air marshals should get involved in people who take people their shoes should and be socks taken off. off the plane at the moment that it happens. <laughs> Meaning, open Just the door, get them out, get That's them out it. right there. Yeah. We're landing. No the plane. toenail clipping on the plane, or <laughs> well, you have to deal with me. That might be a federal crime, yeah. actually. CBS News travel editor Peter Greenberg. Thank you so much for joining us. You Appreciate got it. Man. it. Was good Thanks. to see you. you. Got it. Thank you. WBC TV, New England's original TV station. Remember, New England. Normally, we don't spend much time talking about sports here. No particular reason, just there's so much else going on that really matters uh, that's within the purview of Alston's number one podcast. But uh, I think every Bostonian was taken by or, or, or took notice of the news about Alex Cora, the Red Sox manager, getting caught up in this huge cheating scandal that led to the firing of the Houston Astros manager and general manager. But, you know, it's not just sports where cheating is increasingly becoming an issue. You go back over the last 20 years and uh, Google it sometime and you'll see uh, it's an ever-expanding problem in schools at both the high school uh, level, college, and so forth, in graduate schools. It's a problem in terms of corporate malfeasance and, uh, and cheating, people cheating on their taxes, people cheating in political life. And uh, it's getting to the point, Paul and Liam, where I'm starting to wonder, if you're raising kids these days, 
How do you look at them with a straight face and say, oh, no, 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 kids. We have to be on the straight and narrow when they look around and they can probably cite chapter and verse to you of cheating that they see in their own lives that's going unpunished. Yeah, well, mm. you were saying it's the rise of technology has really contributed. In this Alex Cora case, this appears to be the problem. It's made it so much easier. I yeah. mean, you know, cheating is as old as time. Let's face it, right? Well, I mean, we've had jokes about the stuffing of ballot boxes for decades and decades in Chicago or Boston or big city elections, mm. cheating in sports, the 1919 you know, white socks, white socks or what black, have the black you. Socks, yeah. The important the thing socks. to me, especially with the rise of technology in terms of school and yeah. what other aspect of life is every new generation has to find its way to impose ethics and show what will not be tolerated. But, you know, it's so damn confusing, Liam, because uh, the problem for Major League Baseball isn't sign stealing. Right, they that's say sort of an old that, art. That's part of the game, they say. Mm. It's only the use of this modern technology, and th that kind of baffles me. Yeah. Right. What difference does it make how you do it? Isn't it the act itself that's dishonest? Well, yeah. there's a difference between sitting on second base, runners Observing. at second base, and he can see what everyone else on the field can see, and then trying to interpret the signal from the catcher to the pitcher and relay that. That's different from using technology to in a much more sophisticated and uh, accurate way, mm. diagnose very quickly, this is what that sign means, let's take it, let's relay that to every player. And th that to me is an, a new level of cheating. Mm. And I do think that's where technology comes into this. And I think in terms of the question of what's to be done about it, how do we send a message to kids today that, that's yeah. not tolerated, Alex Kors should be fired. He should have already been fired. Yeah. A.J. Hinch has been fired. The general manager of the Astros has been fired. It says right in the report that Alex Cora was the mastermind. He thought up the whole thing. And the only reason he hasn't been punished yet is because the Red Sox investigation continues. Right, that continues. When that's done, he is going to get a year suspension minimum, and the Red Sox should fire it him. It is and interesting. Should send a very strong message. This is not okay. But Dan Shaughnessy in the Boston Globe wrote that today. Yeah. Uh, often, uh, you know, people cast aspersions because John Henry, the owner of the Red Sox, is the owner of the Boston Globe. Sure. Shaughnessy came right out and said the Red Sox should do the right thing and go ahead and fire him. But wait a minute. Let's, let's talk about kids in, in college, say, mm -hmm. or in high school, even, right. where the pressure to achieve and get into a good college is so intense. You know, we're the ones putting the pressure on these kids. Sure. We're the ones setting the cultural standards, saying you're mm -hmm. you're a failure if you don't get into a good school. Right. You're you need to achieve. I'm not working and slaving out here so you can loaf off. You've got to get the I grades. Said. You've got, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> All right, okay. I'm slaving over here at WBZ. You better so, study hard. So are we are we being mm. honest ourselves or is it well, really a deterrent sure. if we turn around and say well you went too far trying to get the edge to get ahead sure. especially when they look around and they see and i know yeah. this is the classic cliche but everybody else mm. doing that's the big well, problem well look at the sats right if you can afford to hire a one-on-one -on -one tutor your child's score will go up by 250 so what's points. fair and ethical about that right it is more a reflection of your socioeconomic status than anyone's intelligence but everybody creates systems right and you have to somehow work within the system but people will push right up against the rules as far as they can go until they suddenly find themselves in federal court and they're mm, Lori Lachlan. Right. And they really, I, I think that case, 
of anything of the last 25 years, this college admissions cheating scandal, they have got to throw the book at these people. If she goes up the river for 40 years, I mean, it's going to be a good thing. At least in our country, the college and university system, the integrity of it is so serious. Mm. It, they really well, have to enforce this to the fullest extent of the law. Speaking about SAT tutors, the college admission scandal, Lori Lachlan, all of that, I was looking at this report from Science Daily. And the headline is sharp rise in essay cheating globally with millions of students involved. And this study from Swansea University found that one in seven students use essay mills. 31 million students globally use these essay mills. I worked for one of these right out of college. My buddy had founded one where students from, this was specifically Korea, would send essays to you and you would edit their essay to, you know, often it was just correcting the English because they were English as a second language. But for a lot of kids, these are full rewrites of their essays. And that's, mm. you know, it that's costs $1,000 right? to that's do it. Cheating. There's, you know, SAT tutoring. And then there's something that's way more than that, which is just paying to get in, which is what Lori Lachlan and these other parents did. But yeah, it is throughout our society. And it's, the, you know, it's the old Lance Armstrong method or, or sort of uh, mindset, which is that everyone's cheating. So I better cheat or I can't win. And if they're all doing it and I don't and I lose, where, how is that fair? And the emphasis from the entire culture around you is much more profoundly focused on winning and achieving than it is on adhering to a certain ethical standard. Mm. Oh, of course. So yeah. what's a kid to think? What's yeah. a... Well, I mean, I think... Maybe we're fooling ourselves by saying cheating is wrong. I mean, obviously, certain kinds of <laughs> cheating. I mean, I would never trust a man who cheated on his wife, for instance. Mm -hmm. Sure. But what would he do to me? Right. You know? Well, but, we, you know, I mean, this is getting, it gets into tricky topics. Yeah. Right? But it's not there so were, dry. There were reasons why um, the, our Puritan forebears had such harsh attitudes about certain aspects of life and cheating that you were truly punished. You were shamed or ostracized, usually because it wasn't good for children. Usually it threatened sort of the family and, uh, you know, the, their sense of morality. And uh, let's face it, in our culture, those kinds of Black and white lines mm. have gone by the wayside. But I do think you're right, John, that the focus in our society on winning mm. has changed the dynamics. It's made it much more attractive to cheat, almost mm -hmm. encouraged. And then that technology has been this steroid on top of that that mm. has accelerated it because it makes it easier to cheat and you can cheat in a much more powerful way. You know, I heard a really interesting conversation about this on a recent podcast between Jake Tapper and Jonah Goldberg, who are hmm. roughly contemporaries in Washington. Jonah talking. Goldberg is a conservative. Jonah Goldberg is a conservative. He now has a new entity called The Remnant, and he has a podcast uh, and has been a longtime writer for National Review and other yeah. conservative publications. Jake Tapper considers himself neutral. But they were talking about in the Trump era that what they observe in Washington is really people just switching jerseys, right? That what has gone on among Trump backers 
is the mirror image of what went on during the Monica Lewinsky yeah. scandal with Bill mm. Clinton, mm. right? He's a cheater that and as a liar, as but he's ours. your team is going to win, right. I'll bend the rules and say that's okay. You right. can lie under oath as the president Correct. Uh, of the United States to federal authorities, or, you know, you could do any number of things that Donald Trump has been accused of. And what's begun to happen in American politics is not... Well, I, I can't tolerate my fellow party members' indiscretions. No, it's, well, you know, that's just the way it is. And as long as yeah. he's enforcing the legislation that I like, any other behavior that is considered out of bounds, I'm just going to look the other way. That's what kids are the, saying. The big question is, what do we do? Well, and so I, I just think, again, you start with big ramifications for the people who are found to have been shooting. So let me ask you, you, your kids are very young still. Mm. Yeah, five and two. Five and two, okay, but already you're laying down boundaries. What do you do with young kids? You have to share. No, you, you know, you can't take that. You can't mm-hmm. do that. Daddy needs a special sauce. Okay, right, exactly. Yes, daddy's, well, you know what? don't let daddy's uh, tumbler here get, stay empty for long. But yeah. uh, but what do you, have you and your wife talked about what you're going to tell them about cheating? Not have you had any kind of conversations mm. with them? Not specifically. Okay. They're pretty no, young. Good sportsmanship, for sure, because okay. I can already tell my five-year-old daughter, no surprise, is pretty competitive okay. and has a drive. The apple win. doesn't fall far from the tree. <laughs> and a little game of air hockey between her and her cousin can get pretty intense. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so when she loses, I have encouraged her to be a good sport yeah. about it. Uh, and they will, little kids will cheat. You know, they'll they'll put their hand in front of the, the of net course. or whatever. And you'll say, you know, you, that's not how you play. You have to take your hand off the net. And I'll make sure that she stays by those rules too. And so I guess you're sort of teaching it in a way, mm. yeah. you know, just by demonstrating the rules and trying to demonstrate good sportsmanship. Yeah. The enormity of the cultural indulgence in cheating and the normalization, that's a popular word these days, of cheating – was driven home to me a couple of years ago. I went out with a couple of friends to trivia night at a local burger joint. And I'd say, okay, this will be fun. We were, you know, clearly the oldest table. It was ma- but that's neither here nor It was mainly, you know, punk kids like, yeah. like your age. Like yeah. <laughs> and uh, so we start playing the trivia questions, and uh, we're losing every round. Mm-hmm. And I look around, and I realize the reason we're losing is every other damn table in the place <laughs> has their phone out, and they're looking up the answers on their phone. Oh, yeah, it was uh, <laughs> Paul Revere. Oh, my gosh. Oh, thinking, what the hell is going <laughs> yeah. on here? And uh, no one Well, you seen- know what it is? That is, it's the death of shame. Right? What yeah. keeps human beings within the boundaries is a sense of shame. Yeah. The death they of shame. They have to be made to feel as though there will be a consequence as soon as they transgress. So whoever was running that trivia game was doing a terrible Yeah, doing a terrible I used to do job. trivia at Southside Tavern in Braintree before I had kids and you just couldn't have time for it. On Tuesday nights, Tuesday trivias. Yeah. And anyone who would take the phone out during the game, the host was a hawk. Yeah. And he would say, look, you're probably just texting your friend. No phones during the course yeah, of the game, and that person the would, would sheepishly put their phone back right. and say, "No, I wasn't looking anything up. I just, you know, was texting yeah. a friend about where we are, whatever." And I do think there's the death of shame, which I think yes. plays into this for sure. And I also just think, thirty years ago, you couldn't look up the well, answer right. on your phone. 
Yeah. And this has made it so much more accessible. It's such a tempting thing. You know that at the end of trivia night, you might win a $100 gift certificate to the mm. dinner and you think to yourself, I'll just look this one question. Out. Everyone was doing it right. though. Every yeah. well, damn then, one. And they <laughs> Did you say anything to that. anyone? Well, we just drank up and got the hell out of there. I mean, <laughs> they it was should just be embarrassed. I would have said something. I'm so bad. You oh, know this, Paul. Oh, yeah. Well, I it, it, I'm so competitive. I would have said, yeah, you know, we would have won had not everyone been <laughs> looking. Cheating. Well, it would have been me, my wife, and this other couple all over 60 taking on a bar room oh, full of yeah, yeah, yeah. Look oh. at that mustache. How manly you are. You could have handled them. We need to bring back shame. <laughs> bring back shame. Shame on everyone. Yes. It's true. Well, it's interesting it's because too many people have shame of the wrong kind, shame of their bodies, shame oh, of their right. personal Who, decisions or whatever. That. But you're I'm right, about shame about ethics. Shame. Yeah. Hey, uh, this was a really good show. Yeah. We covered a lot. And we're available everywhere. You listen to podcasts, subscribe and share, and contact us on Twitter at Studio BZ Pod. I'm at Paula Eben. I'm at Keller at Large. I am at Liam WBZ. And next week, as always, we'll, we'll be seeing you. Hey, I didn't cough. Excellent. Yeah, not, not once. Not Sounded once. Good. I yeah. sort of masked it a few times. Eh?